In the alcohol beverage industry, you have big beer. Macro labels that are the brands we all know, all got excited about drinking once we hit college. They were small brands once and have built big beer empires in this country by flooding the market with easy drinking, standardized products. And on top of that, they maintain a stranglehold on local draft lists and grocery store cold boxes through discounts, perks, and simple market share muscle flexing through their regional distributors. So here is my letter to Big Beer that I've always wanted to write, giving them a piece of my mind as they continue to create challenges for us little guys in this cutthroat alcohol market. Let's go. Hello. Welcome to Courage and Other C Words. I'm your host, Jen Root Martell, and thanks so much for joining me today. And yes, it has been quite a while. Thank you so much for your patience with me. It definitely has taken some time to figure out a new routine with the little one and constantly changing list of demands and night awakenings. We're doing so well there for a minute with sleeping through the night, but Alex and I knew we were on borrowed time. So when she hit three and a half months, oh my, I cannot get enough food in this little one. So night's Basically went back to sucking, Um, but we've incorporated some formula, inherited a fancy powder formula maker from Alicia, thank you, and are getting back some of those hours of sleep, slowly. I've also broken down and hired another pair of hands to help with her during the day. That has been really quite amazing, and we haven't really gotten routine set up quite yet because as soon as the nanny signed on to help, my parents came for two weeks visit from Virginia and it was so great having them here and sharing all of her new skills with them and, and then adding some new ones, which is really exciting. She just learned to roll from her back to her tummy, so that was, that was an exciting day. But my parents have now left. The nanny is coming on starting this week, and I will hopefully get back a couple of hours a week or more to work on this podcast. And on top of that, harvest season is upon us, so many in my interview pool are insanely busy at the moment, which just means I'll have to pick back up with the cider crowd at a later date. So here we are. It's the end of October. A milestone has come and gone with Little Fire and Fair as I celebrate my first full year of this podcast. September 27th, 2020 was the launch of the podcast intro, and October 20th was my first episode, so... Jumping into this genre with absolutely no idea what I was doing, I have been humbled by the awesome responses to the content and the continued support of all of you who are listening. Just a huge thank you also to those amazing women who have come on to be interviewed, as I know it was a leap of faith for you, and I appreciate your trust in me to help tell your stories. For a little podcast in a niche market, I just surpassed 2,000 listens, which I'm totally stoked about. And I'm excited to see what the next year will bring. I know I need to focus more on getting this out into the world, and I hope to spend some more time on that. And I do ask for your help in spreading the good word of cider, entrepreneurship, women in business, and craft beverage in general. If you know of anyone who might be interested in listening, if you could pass on this little podcast, that would be awesome. It would mean so much. So in celebrating a year of podcasting, I thought it would be fun to take this moment and reflect on how truly difficult it has been to break into the beverage market. Now, you've heard me talk a lot about packaging and branding, a little bit about sales, but driving around doing deliveries in North Bay by myself the other day, 
I started listing out why it is so difficult to get our small craft products onto shelves and into bars. And it's not necessarily because the buyers are overwhelmed with products, even though they usually are, or there's not enough space, which is a super stupid excuse. The problem is with the overly aggressive stranglehold that Big Beer has on the retailers. And along with them, the big house distribution companies that ally with big beer companies to push out as much macro crap beer as possible and flood the bar taps and grocery store shelves with the same beer in 10 different packaging. All the while, we can't even get one small hole for our one flagship cider that represents a niche in the market and our own beloved audience who supports us. So for this reason, I've concocted a letter to the big beer companies from a small cider business. Not in an attempt to change anything, because I know it won't, but just to bring attention to the games that are being played behind the scenes to make sure the beers and ciders that you're looking at are the ones that they want you to buy. So here we go. Dear Big Beer, Hello. I'm the owner of a small craft beverage company in California, and for six and a half years now, we have worked hard to produce a quality product for an enthusiastic and discerning audience. However, every day of that six and a half years, we have been fighting a battle for market space, store by store, and bar by bar. So despite having an amazing product and wonderful, though small, sales team, this struggle has really impacted our ability to thrive as a company. And for this struggle, I hold you and your big house distributors directly responsible. So I wanted to send this letter of thanks to show my appreciation for the immense challenges you have constructed for any small producer trying to enter and stay in the market. Firstly, I'd like to thank you for spoiling beer buyers and setting the expectation so high that only you can reach it. The first expectation, that a delivery can be made the next day and any day for that matter. In making yourself so accessible and available, it sets the bar so high for any other small business. And when you're a two-person show, or now just a five-person team, it is not always possible to get a delivery made within 24 hours. Production must be planned out weeks ahead of time, and specific days must be set aside each week to cover specific territories for deliveries. For us, we plan Wednesday as our San Francisco delivery day, Thursdays for the peninsula. If an SF bar orders a keg of cider on Wednesday, they have to wait until at least Friday because we just don't have enough hands to get it to them in the short time that they've been conditioned to expect it. And not having the resources to have such flexibility can cause angst with our retail partners and added stress on our team when a bar demands a really quick turnaround. And that sucks. Though we of course want to support our customers as much as possible, our small van or my Prius just can't compete with your fleet of trucks and drivers who are going out every day and flooding the market with all of your products. It sucks that we can't always get the cider out there. Like when it's Wednesday night at 8 p.m. and because the bar staff didn't plan, they've kicked the keg and need a new one. Granted, yes, this also involved a lack of planning on the buyer's side for sure. But sometimes it's unpredictable who will come in the door and what they will order. But having a big house be able to about face and bring them a keg the very next day, sometimes the very next morning, makes it so difficult to compete. For us little guys, other things must sometimes be put on the back burner, like the actual making of the cider, or finishing packaging, or doing deliveries in other places just so that we don't lose that account or a placement at a bar that we worked so hard to put in. I know at the end of the day, it comes down to a scale issue for this specific grievance. I understand that. 
And something could be said for having the flexibility of an owner to be able to pop up to Santa Rosa two hours away and drop a couple of cases for a special account like I did last week. But on a weekly basis, it's hard to work against the expectation you've set that there is someone sitting around just waiting to take and fulfill orders. It doesn't work that way on the small business side. Second expectation is really more from your distributors, but I hold you responsible as well. And that is draft line cleaning. Legally, we as producers are not allowed to touch anything at a customer's bar behind the draft spout. Anything that has to do with the product, yes, of course, totally. We are responsible for that being as good as we can possibly make it. And the occasional keg that goes bad or just wasn't cleaned right is completely on us. But cleaning the lines from the keg to the tap or dealing with any of the CO2 infrastructure should rest squarely on the shoulders of the bar owner. And they should pay for a company to come in and clean those lines regularly if they don't want to do it themselves. You shouldn't pay that company. They should. You shouldn't come in and clean their lines. They should. You shouldn't come in and raise a fuss about independent tap lines being dirty and refuse to clean them so that small companies are then forced to rearrange their whole schedules to meet this absurd expectation of bar owners. This type of service technically adds value to the product. And this is a big, big no-no in the eyes of our regulatory agencies. But here we are, forced to do it or face the threat of being dropped from the tap by the buyers. I know I've personally been told that if I didn't come up and fix the CO2 issue, that is technically not my problem, the buyer would just find another cider company who will do it. So lame. I also want to make sure I thank you for your frequent and generous use of discounts for your products. Because giving bars and restaurants even more incentive to buy loads of your SKUs is super helpful when we try to approach them to take on our ciders. We worked really hard to price our ciders as competitively as possible to some detriment to our bottom line. And last thing we wanted to do was bring a new product in the market and immediately get priced out. But then you go and cut deals with everyone, adding in some cases for good measure, or lopping off a couple bucks here or there on larger orders. So when we show up with our product list and pricing, we have to continually defend our position that we do not provide discounts. On some occasions, we've had to take a hit and cave to that demand just to get into a place that we know would be just a really good fit with the audience and our ciders. But we don't work on large margins, and discounts are completely gouging. You're also, for the record, not allowed to give anything away for free in this industry, since it's technically a controlled substance. Nothing. But when I go to a bar and check in on their cider selection and get the response, Oh, we don't really deal with the cider tap. The distributor just throws that keg in for free with the order. Or go put the samples in your price sheet with discounts over there and I'll get to it later. You have no idea how infuriating that is. Or you do. And that's why you allow your distributors to do it. Even promote the act, I'm sure. It's so important to you to hold on to market share that you, through discounts to grocery stores, you build huge end cap displays to butt out any competitors Provide donations for events just to get your bottles and name in front of people, which then puts stress on us little guys to do the same or nonprofits to expect it. And knock off a few bucks just so that your beer or your liquor can be the running special for the foreseeable future. Every move you make to undercut the price breaks our backs as we struggle to cover costs of goods 
and also get placements in great local bars, restaurants, and grocery stores. Having to discount our cider feels like we're also discounting the quality of our cider and something that most small businesses simply have to refuse to do just to keep their integrity. So thanks for that. However, I would also like to thank you for all the free beers over the years. Being on the receiving end of your sales reps buying sprees has been quite wonderful, while I myself have tried to keep my own sales expenses to a minimum. Giving your team the resources to go into accounts and buy a round or five really helps provide some incentive to those retailers who sell your beers. Who doesn't want to add a few more revenue dollars here and there just by swiping a credit card? And from this act, you have created the idea of the slow roll sales model. The one where you're expected to sit for hours at a bar, talking up the bartender, laying down the credit card, and bringing in the business to your customers and potential customers. It's expensive, and it adds up, both on the money side, and for us, more importantly, sometimes on time side. And us little guys, at least before COVID, thought that was the only way to go. And of course, no one behind the bar was complaining. I also really love the move of indirectly throwing money at an account by offering to pay for trivia night expenses or sport channel subscriptions just so you can have your cider or beer permanently in place at a bar. After working for many months on a bar in the Mission in San Francisco, that was finally the nail in the coffin of the sale. After waiting so long for a positive response and feeling like I was getting somewhere, But I just can't cover trivia host expenses for a singular bar where we might move a few cases a month. Nor should I have to. And that's the root of it. Now, don't get me wrong. It is critical in our industry to create relationships and show loyalty, hands down. But spending hours and hours at one bar trying to coax an order out of someone just so that you can show you're supporting, all the while dropping 20, 30, $40 on beer and food for the chance that they might order one case of cider? I don't think so. Who has that time? And how can a small business be expected to grow a brand that way? I know before the little one came along and the pandemic, of course, I definitely had places where I saw refuge and would grab lunch or a pint. But that was to show support for those who supported us. It was to build on those initial relationships that I had developed through selling a great product. Throwing down money to buy cold space at a market or taps at a bar is cheating. And thank you for showing us how amazingly good you are at it. And a quick thank you to your distributors. Wholesale sales and delivery companies that ally themselves with big beer. It makes you just as complicit in all this nonsense as the beer companies you represent. From paying for tap installation at new bars so that they feel indebted to you and have to put the beer you sell on the menu all the time, to helping distribute monetary incentives from your big beer clients to push certain labels, paying your salespeople for getting certain bottles and cans on shelves at the expense of the other brands in your portfolio, and even courting small craft companies that you see as competition, wooing them with buyout offers and promises of huge sales and more market share, only to then shelve them as soon as they're acquired, setting them to the side doing the bare minimum just so you don't get sued, and then making them buy back their brands for exponentially more when they call your bluff and want the right to sell their products again. You talk a big game, but we all know who you really answer to, and it's big beer, not your integrity or small businesses. So thank you. Thank you for being a huge part of this market share game 
and expanding the barrier to entry for small producers through your aggressive sales strategies and huge marketing displays. And though I could probably go on and on and on with the thank yous, I wanted to draw your attention to those few that have been especially detrimental over the years, and I believe I have done that. So in closing, thank you for being you, brands we love to hate, and brands that show us what not to do. It has definitely been a struggle out there, but having you there to compare ourselves to has made us even more fervent in our support of craft and more motivated to beat the system that is stacked against us. So for that, I thank you. Sincerely, this small craft beverage producer. Okay, that might have been a little rough. I know it was rough writing it. Rough because I wish none of it was true. I wish that the playing field was more level. I wish a bit of extra money didn't drive so much of the retail's decision-making. Over the past six and a half years, it has been so frustrating seeing these games play out, being forced to make decisions to stay competitive, and missing out on placements and accounts who asked or expected too much. But we have persevered in the face of it, and I am so deeply grateful for all of those customers who have brought us on despite not getting any of these special perks because they believe in the product and in us. And that is where the true thank you lies. Oh, hey, it's me again. And this is sort of a random insert, but I just had to add an update to this episode because literally as soon as I dropped it, I was doing deliveries in San Francisco because our delivery driver was out. And just another example, yet another example of what this episode was about literally happened to me in front of my face. And I, it took everything I had to like not just start laughing and walking out the door. But uh, yeah, so I thought I'd share kind of in real time uh, what, what we're up against on, on like a daily basis. So one of the stops as I was out in San Francisco was sending a couple of Sixtals to, it, it is actually one of our older accounts, but it is a pretty dive bar. Uh, definitely doesn't have food, um, literally just liquor and beer and cider, obviously. And I won't say who or where. It, it's a great bar, and they definitely crush our cider. I get a kick out of every time the owner orders, which is now almost weekly. And he just always seems surprised that a little label like ours and a cider, no less, would just go as quickly as it does. And he just keeps blowing kegs and running out, and it's just become, you'd think after four or five years of being a customer of ours, <laughs> would get on a better schedule, but it has not yet happened. Okay. So I was dropping the kegs off and I had my South City Cider Works shirt on and shirts I have to buy in really small numbers because they're like 12 to $15 a pop and having a budget for merchandise at the size that we are is just laughable, especially when I've never had anything like a tap room where I could like actually sell them, you know, to people like a little store. And I really only buy them for my team uh, just so that they can be branded when they're out and about or so that they can have work shirts on during production. I mean, when we were doing events, they were great for events too. Just having everybody, you know, in the same, the same brand, the same logo, the same company. But that's like where it ends. And these things, we do spend a little bit more money just to make them super comfortable instead of just like the basic cotton, like Hanes shirt. So it's... It's a source of pride that we have logoed shirts, but it's not something that I like flaunt for sure. So I'm heading out. I have my two empties to take home with me. I'm making sure he has the invoices, you know, kind of wrapping up the sale. And 
just nonchalantly across the bar, he says, hey, great shirts. Bring us a couple next time. My staff will wear them. And of course, I was like in the moment, in the heat of the moment. Yeah, sure. Of course. Uh, I'll look at what sizes we have. And then I just like walk out the door and get in my car. And it's like, excuse me, these shirts are fucking 12 or $15 a pop. And not only is it straight up illegal for me to give any account anything over a dollar per unit, because that's considered another form of preference and adding value, like I've talked about in this episode, but I also have only like 10 shirts that I spent months like hanging and hawing over whether to use that $400 on shirts or something important like, oh, I don't know, the electricity bill or more juice. But because Big Beer comes in and throws around t-shirts and hats, coasters, tin tackers, and tin tackers are those like metal logoed poster things that you see kind of all over bar walls. Those things are like 10 to 20 bucks a pop. It, it's just so ridiculous that there's this expectation that those are available for everyone and from everyone. We did actually try to play the coaster game at first, but there's literally no return on investment on them. And so many bars don't buy their own because they know that the big brands will be able to happily supply them as many as they need. Well, some brands. And sure, I could probably write it off as a marketing expense and stop bitching about it, but it's just the nonchalance of the owner to ask me for something, and it just just struck a chord so hard. So there you go. Even now, even this week, we are bearing the brunt of big beer, breaking the rules, and I'm going to look like the asshole when the t-shirts never show up that he asked for, but I'm sure someone else will fill the void. As long as he keeps ordering cider, I sort of don't care. So anyway, wanted to share. That's all I've got. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Have you been out in the market in your industry and had similar issues with the big brands? Need to let off some steam about your experiences? Well, I would love to hear all about it. Email me at info at othercwords.com. And in the meantime, please subscribe, rate, and review to help out this little podcast. Five stars goes a long, long way, and I so appreciate the support. I know it says write a review, and that could be pretty daunting, but Apple is not asking for a novel. A simple, hey, what's up? Craft cider is awesome. That would be more than fine. And for more information about me and this podcast, visit us online at othercwords.com. Talk to you soon, and thanks for joining me today.